Hey, good morning. Uh, welcome to the Grove Church. I'm Charlie. Lead pastor here, if you don't know, if you're new, man, we're really glad that you're here, and um, we're going to start our series, continue our series uh, here in just a second, but before this happens, we don't do this very often. We don't talk typically a whole lot about kind of whatever's going on out in the world, um, political stuff. We don't talk about that a whole lot because that stuff is so divisive and unnecessarily so, I think, a lot of times, and um, the gospel, the need that people have for Jesus Christ, that's plenty of controversy a lot of times. But what's happened over the last couple of days is not controversial. Uh, Racism is not controversial. It's evil. It is evil and ridiculous and has no place in our world. And we as God's people must stand and look at that and call evil evil. And if there's any hesitancy I have to talking about this, it's not in calling evil evil. It's just that I don't like drawing any more attention to these idiots than have already been drawn to them. People like this, they feed off of fear, anger, and publicity. And I would love the next time something like this happens, I'm not in charge of such things, I'd love the next time some idiots decide they want to do this, that no counter-protesters show up and no media shows up and it could just be a bunch of idiots yelling at each other in the park. But that won't happen. It won't happen. And so it's important for us, it's important for us to call evil, evil. And at the same time, you know, you just peruse social media and you just see, and I just sense this, you know, people trying to figure out how to process all of this. And there's a couple of things when things like this come up that I feel it's important as God's people for us to remind each other of. And there's a couple of ways to kind of process this, depending on your side of the political spectrum, that I would consider unhelpful. One is to say, well, I don't agree with what they're doing, but there wouldn't be people like that doing this if it weren't for this over here. No, 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 no. This is irrelevant. This is evil and this is irrelevant. There is no excuse, no justification. There's nothing that happened over here that even makes this even remotely understandable. It's just evil, okay? And on the other side... We don't look and say, you see these evil people? You know who they voted for? They voted for this guy. And you know who else voted for this guy? These people. So these, no, no, no. These people are evil. And the fact that they share one trait in common is irrelevant. It does not matter who they voted for because they are evil people that voted for your candidate. And we are not going to participate in the politics of divisiveness by associating the most evil people who agree with us on two things we're just we're, it's like, well, these evil people agree with you on these two things, so therefore you're evil like them. We're just not going to play that game. We're not going to play that game. We are God's people. We will not. I've said this before that our political system, um, it feeds off of our fear and anger. And they want us to be divided because the more divided we are, the more money we will send them and the more power we will give them, and we will not play that game. We are God's people, and we, as Jesus said, we are called to be peacemakers. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, and we are not going to participate in this culture of division. We will not. And we will be peacemakers. And let's make sure we're clear on what that means. When he says, blessed are the peacemakers, he does not say, blessed are the non-violence doers. So I didn't do the violence, I didn't do the ugly thing, so therefore I'm blessed. No, 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 that's not making peace. Blessed are the peacemakers does not mean blessed are the violence condemners, because that's not bringing peace. Peacemakers actively go and make peace. That's what we do. We go where there is hurt and there is division, 
and, and there is a lack of, of love and unity, and we go and make it. I go to where there is division, I go to where there is hurt, and I make peace. That's what we do. And in your context where you live, who you know, where you work, where you go to school, I don't know what that means for you. But I would imagine in the way that you live and the way that you walk, there are people and opportunities that you have to be someone who can make peace. And as a 90% plus um, uh, white church, um, I speak to the 90% and I say that in the issue of racial division, the, 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 um, the burden falls primarily to you. Because as white people, we have, we have been the ones who have benefited the most from a system that has been unjust and uh, we, can, we can churn ourselves up all day and say, well, it was my grandfather that did it, and I didn't do it. Well, it's not about blame. It's about peacemaking. It's about bringing justice and hope and life and grace and peace to people in a world that needs it. And again, I don't know what it looks like for your individual situation, but wherever you are and wherever God has placed you, I encourage you to look in the face of a world that is full of division and anger and hate and bring hope and peace and life through the gospel of Jesus Christ to it. That is who God has called us to be. So when these things happen, we will not let the world win. We will let the hope and message of the gospel and the mission that God has called us to, we will let that win. Let me pray for us. God, um, I thank you. I thank you for the awesome people that you have placed in here. I thank you for... The unity that we have, God, just how I know how diverse our political opinions here are, our different approaches to life, different races, different economic backgrounds, all sorts of things. But God, I pray for even more. God, I pray that there would be more unity through diversity here in our church. And God, I pray that we individually and collectively would be known as a group of people who are peacemakers and that we will bring unity and hope and life to people who are disadvantaged, who have been hurt. And God, that we would take a message of hope and life and peace to a world that is desperate for it. And we love you, God. And it's in your Son's name that we pray. Amen. All right, we will now transition awkwardly to um, our series. We'll be looking at some minor characters. And today we're looking at a woman named Hannah, and it's in 1 Samuel chapter 1. You can go ahead and turn there. And, you know, in this we're going to see a, a, a woman praying for something, a woman praying for something over some time. And it reminds me, we have a lot of new people here at the church all the time. I need to catch up. I feel like that we should, we should hand out to new people like just like a, little, like a little cheat sheet card of like ongoing stories that we always talk about that you don't know, like, okay, Charlie's family always rides roller coasters. Okay, we, okay, we, we know that. He makes his kids ride roller coasters. He takes his crying kids on a roller coaster. We got that. Write that down. Um, okay, they have three kids. Three kids, all daughters, right? The youngest one, Layla, she's starting kindergarten. She's, a, she's adopted. She was a foster kid. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we got all that. And so we could just kind of start with that. Friends, I always need to catch up, right? So here's one we haven't talked about in a while. It's a, it's a, it's a Grove classic, a Lofton Family classic, some of you may not be aware of. Um, we've been here in Fayetteville, uh, here part of the Grove Church, for seven years. Well, seven years, August 1st. And uh, something that you may not know is that um, in Cabot, where we lived, we still own that house. We still own the house in Cabot, and it has been an awful story. And we've, at different times, over the see, people laughed first service too, and I almost, 
It's like, it's not funny. I'm going to I'm going to cut somebody. Peace. Um, yeah, so we tried to sell it, and it wouldn't. And so we moved here and lived in an apartment for several months. And finally, after a few months, this guy moved into it. He was going to rent it. And once his job got more stable, he was going to buy it. He lived there for about a year and a half, didn't buy it, and ended up moving back to Louisiana. So we put it back on the market. It didn't sell then. This family said, hey, we're building a house nearby. Can we live there just for a few months? And then as we know, we're about to move. You can show it with our stuff still in there. Like, great. So we did that, and then we we put it on the market again near the end of their time, and again, no one bought it. And so then this guy moved in, and he wanted to rent it and had some financial things. was like, man, we're going to want to buy it in a year. Then we kind of moved into this kind of lease purchase agreement with him, and one became two, and two became three. Three became four years, and now they're just moving out. And um, after just years of just kind of promising that they were going to buy it, and it was just all very weird and frustrating. So as of August 1st, the seven-year anniversary of our moving here, that house is back on the market again. And it is very frustrating, and it's just, very, it's just brought a lot of anger and stress and disappointment and frustration. We feel like it has just kind of been this, 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 this huge burden that we're just kind of carrying with us. And it just like... Like, we, like we're just not completely free, and it's felt like that for seven years. And so you pray, and you pray a lot, and you recruit other people to pray, and you're just constantly praying, and you have this huge burden, and, and the answer just, 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 just won't seem to come. And, and I would imagine that there are a lot of people here that if you were just allow yourself to go into your heart deeply enough, you would, you would, disco- we would discover a lot of us here that have something like that. It may not be the purchase of a house, but it is some emotional weight, some disappointment, some brokenness, some relationship, some, some huge lack that you feel where uh, there's this thing and I've been praying about it and I've been trying to give it to God and I want this and I want this and, and it becomes very frustrating and you pray about it for days, you pray about it for weeks, you pray about it for years and it just seems like the answer will not come. <coughs> And I think we don't know what to do. We don't know how to pray, and we don't know how to process these kinds of things. So here in 1 Samuel chapter 1, we're going to be introduced to a woman named Hannah. She is going to become the mother of a guy named Samuel, for whom these, this book and the next book, 2 Samuel, named after. Probably one of the top five most important people in the entire Old Testament as far as the influence and power that he had um, over the country and for God's influence in the world. And so he's an incredible person. So this is kind of, I guess... This for a superhero movie, it would be his origin story. And um, it's here with his mom, Hannah, and we're going to see this starting in 1 Samuel chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Now, there was a certain man um, from Ramatham, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zoph, an Ephraimite. He had two wives, one was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? 
don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Let's just pause here for a second because this is important. This comes up every now and then. People just kind of wondering things about the Bible, having questions or criticizing the Bible. They'll ask, why does the Bible seem to approve of polygamy, having more than one wife? Why, why does the Bible not just say that it's wrong? And I'm like, well, you may be right in saying that it never says, hey, polygamy is just wrong, but it is, it is described a lot, and every time it's described, it goes horribly wrong. It's terrible, it's awful, it, it, it wrecks the family, and so while there may not be a verse that says polygamy is wrong, the Bible is full of polygamy is wrong. It ruined, it, it wrecked Abraham, it wrecked Jacob, it wrecked this guy, it destroyed the kingdom of Israel through David and through his son Solomon, it's awful in every way. So it is a very simple answer. I mean, this is a terrible story. And this guy, to use the word of the day, this guy's an idiot. I mean, he's the villain of this story so far. I mean, I, I feel bad for both of these women. One of these women is has kids but is not loved, and one is loved and has no kids, and they're both heartbroken. And in the middle, we've got this idiot who married both of them, and is going to his wife who is barren and saying, aren't I better than kids? Why are you so sad? Why are you crying? Oh, your other wife is being so rude to her. And you're saying, well, if I give her two portions of meat, it'll be fine. (laughs) Idiot. So do not tell me that the Bible does not condemn polygamy. It's just a little more nuanced than most of us are, are ready for. So we got this awful story here. This woman is not only barren, but she has to deal with this competition from this other woman who, who is now taunting her. And apparently, the husband realizing that he is in a terrible situation that he created himself, he can't do anything about it. And so obviously, this woman, Hannah, is incredibly heartbroken. All right? Oh, where, 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 yeah, we were where he said something stupid. Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Is that not the worst pastor ever? (laughs) Oh, my word. Here's our promise to you. We're a good church. We're good people. Here's our promise to you. You ever go back there in the response time? And you are praying, no one at the grove will ever accuse you of drunkenness. That is our, that's our money-back guarantee right there. Oh, man. Anyways. So she said, not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went, she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their homecoming at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. 
She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. So we have the story again, these, these, these two women and this, and this one man and, and Hannah, she doesn't have a, a child and there's this, there's this phrase in there that's kind of hard to wrestle with a little bit where it says that she doesn't have any kids, but it describes that as the Lord closing her womb, that, that God was actively preventing her from having, from having children, that he was involved in it and, that, and that's a hard thing and as we try to process the unansweredness of prayers or these long-term burdens that we have there there is this sense in which man it just feels like man god could be doing something about this but he's not and sometimes it feels like and in this instance it seems like it is that god is preventing the thing like why would he do that why would a good god prevent the thing and we have to kind of process and wrestle with that and we see hannah doing that and we see her then come to prayer And even in the midst of her prayer, we see this awful accusation made against her. But then we see things switch in her, and and the prayer comes, and, and and, and, and her countenance, and her face, and her attitude begin to change. And then, it isn't that, it doesn't say then immediately she became pregnant. It doesn't say that things changed because God told her she was going to have a kid. Something changed in her. And then it says, over the course of time, she conceived. Like I, I want to know. Was it, was, it, was it six months later she conceived? Was it, was it a year? Was it three years? It doesn't say, and I think it's intentionally so. She was fine all of a sudden. And then at some time, God answered the prayer. So I, I, this is a powerful story. It's a powerful story of a real woman and a real awful situation pouring out her heart to the Lord. And I think that we have a lot to learn. So let's just learn just a little bit about kind of the way that she approached this with God, the way she approached her prayers. And the first thing is this. Hannah's prayers were powerful. They were so powerful that she got accused of drunkenness. It was so weird and so emotional that that this pastor, who apparently was so jaded and had probably never or had been years since he had, poured out his heart this deeply to God before, he didn't even recognize it when he saw it. What he saw was, was you must be doing something bad to be this whatever it is that you are. But what it was was a moment, a powerful moment of realness from her where the emotion and the fear and the anger and the anxiety and the disappointment, it all just came out. And she just gave it to God. This was not just a simple, we're going to bless the meal before we eat kind of prayer. Dear God, I just thank you for coming to chat. We get into this cage. Amen. Right? We just, and we're like, this is just powerful emotion, just taking your soul and just putting it out there. God, I want this, and you're not doing this, and it is, it is wearing me out, and it is grieving me, and it is ripping me apart, and, and there's this other woman, and then there's my husband, and what is wrong? Please do this for me. And it was real, and it was powerful. And as someone who, through... Um, through this, through this thing with the house, through, through, through two short, relatively short periods, a year, year and a half, 
of not being able to conceive. And then a third time, we wanted to have a third kid. And we never went back on any kind of birth control after our second kid. And for 11 years, we believed that God had another kid for us. And we didn't have it. And we've prayed these kinds of prayers. God, what are you doing? And I'm telling you, as someone who has experienced it and has watched other people experience it, pouring out your heart to God, it does something for you. It does something for your relationship. To try to pretend, it's one thing to come to church, and this is bad anyway, it's one thing to come to church and feel like, you, oh, well, I'm doing fine today, sir, and how are you? It's blessings for everyone, right? It's a blessed day to be in the house of the Lord. It's one thing to come put on that little show here, which is dumb here, but just you and God? Oh, Lord who is in heaven, who has blessed us with such bounty, I just, God, I pray that this awful thing that has happened to me, which I totally understand and is totally cool, I pray that you would just, if you see, oh, no, no. He knows you're ripped up. You know you're ripped up. I'm just going to say it. God, this is more than I can handle. Because one of the things that I know that God wants to do in your life and in your heart as you're wrestling through this is He wants to heal that place in your heart that is broken and overwhelmed. And He's not going to be able to heal that broken, overwhelmed part if you won't uh, reveal it to Him. I'm going to give it to Him. And so no matter what the conclusion to this story is, we see God healing the hurt in her long before a kid comes. He heals her. But that comes through this powerful, soulful, emotional prayer. Not only were her prayers powerful, they were persistent. We have one picture of one story, of one day, her praying. I don't think it is reading into the story or connecting too many dots to say that this is unlikely the first time in the course of her life that she prayed for this. And I guess that she has been praying this in different ways at different times for years and years and years. We're, we're not given any numbers, and I think that's intentional, but it was years and years before this story with Eli. And it was over the course of time afterwards. But what I think that we have a picture of here in her with Hannah is someone who doesn't just simply pray once, but consistently and powerfully, God, I need you to do this. God, will you please do this? 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 There are some people who think that that demonstrates, shows some sort of lack of faith. But Jesus actually talks about this in a parable, and he talks about this woman who goes to this judge, and the judge is awful, and she keeps coming, I need justice, I need justice, and he won't do it because he's terrible. And she just keeps coming back and coming back. And finally he's like, man, this woman is going to wear me out. I'm going to give her what she wants just so she'll leave me alone. Which is incredible because in that, in that, in that parable, God is the judge. Which it's weird that Jesus would, he's like, he's like it's weird to make that comparison. But then what he says is, I mean, if an evil judge will do that, what's God going to do? What's God going to do to the people who are crying out to him? And so there's a power in persistence. There's a power in this willingness to say, I'm going to just keep praying. Because again, we're, we're, we're not to the answer. 
We don't have Samuel or not have Samuel at this point, but she's consistently praying. And again, a lot of what this is is what God is going to do to you in the journey. And one of the things that He is going to do to you in the journey is not only heal it, heal you as you're, as, as you're, um, as you're pouring out your emotion to Him, but the more consistently you continue to pray, God, I need you to do this. The more, God, I need you to do this. God, will you please do this? God, I want you to do this. The more and more you begin to realize that your life and all of these situations are under God's control. And again, there is something healing about that. Man, God, God has this. He doesn't have it right now in the way that I wish that He did. But He has it. And no one sets out to pray and thinks that I'm starting a seven-year prayer journey. You never think seven years, three, four months ago, when you start praying, God, will you please sell this home? There's not one part of us, of any of us, that thought that over seven years later we would still be praying this prayer. You don't ever expect seven-year prayer, prayer times. You certainly don't in the same way after, after Lauren was born and we really felt like that, that, that God wanted us to continue to build our family. You don't think that you're going to start praying for that for 11 years. You think, you think you know, you're going to pray for a month, a couple of months, some months, a, li- a, little, a little while. But again, as someone who has lived some of this, it is, there's something that God does in you when consistently and persistently over time you just begin to say, well, God obviously has a plan. I, d- I don't know what it is. It's not that I haven't prayed about it. It's not that He doesn't know. It's not that He doesn't know that this is important to me. I have consistently and thoroughly and passionately given this to Him and it's not happening, well, I, I suppose then I can just trust that he's working a different plan. And I'm telling you, there, there is a peace that can come from that, if we'll let it, that is different than, I don't know what's going on here. Why is this not happening? Why is this not working? Why don't things work out? What is going on? There's a peace that can come if we'll let it. And so when we pray powerfully, we, we open up the opportunity for, for God to heal us. And, and when, we are, when we're persistent, we, we, we have this ability to, to allow God to help us deepen our trust in His plan. But that's not where her, her prayer ends. It's not just that they were powerful and persistent, but they were also God-focused. Now, now some of you were expecting a, another word to start with. We don't do that here. So, ever. So, just no. no. Sorry. It's God-focused. So she pours out this prayer, and she, and, and, and she, and she looks at God. She's like, God, if, if you will grant this request for me, I, I will give him to you. I, I will let him be yours. Which I think should lead us to the question, can you make these kinds of deals and bargains with God? 
Can you bargain with him? Like, oh, well, God, well, if you'll do this, then I'll do this. Which I'm just going just, to straight up say, no, you can't do that. Because if it were true that you could, how many lottery winners would we have here in the Lord's house today? Right? I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but there are some of you who have prayed over a lottery ticket and in the process of your cheap, insincere, ridiculous prayer, you made a promise to God that you were never going to keep. Right? God, I won't just give 10%. I'll get 20%. Let's think of what we can do. Think of how missions will change. Okay, if you're going to make a deal with God, if you're going to make a deal with God, make this deal with God. I'll give all of it to you. Yeah, your heart has been exposed. That's not what she was doing. That's not what she was doing. She's like, God, I'll give him completely to you. And we see that because it's actually what she did. That's actually what she did. She, she gave him fully to God. She only raised him for a little while. She, this, this, this priest Eli raised him. She only raised him till, till he, she, he was weaned, which was a little bit longer then than it is now. She gave him fully to God. Basically, her prayer was, this is what I want, but really I want what you want. And it says that over the course of time, God answered this prayer. But here's the thing. There are lots of people, and there are some people here in this room who have prayed this exact prayer and not gotten Hannah's answer. Because sometimes a God-focused prayer's answer is, God, I will give, if you'll give me this child, I will give him to you. And sometimes God answers is, I don't want him, I want you. And I know this isn't what you want. And I know that this is breaking your heart. And I know that this feels like a huge hole in your heart. But I need to do something different with that hole in your heart. And I want you to fill it with me. And I want you to be the answer to the prayer. I don't want Samuel. I want you. And I want you to be a beacon of hope and life to people who are in your situation. And I want you to be someone who can bring love and care and hope to people. That's what I want from you. And that's not the answer that we want. But sometimes it's the answer that God gives. Because God very often is weaving stories we can't even put our minds around. I've referenced these two stories. A seven-year prayer for a house and an 11-year prayer. These, these two things collided at one point. Right at the time we moved here, we felt like that God was calling us to adopt through foster care. But we couldn't start the process because we lived in an apartment. So it delayed us starting until we moved into a rent house several months later in the spring of 2011. At the same time in the spring of 2011, we started the process of becoming foster parents. And at the same time in the spring of 2011, two people on the other side of northwest Arkansas were making a bad decision to have a kid that they couldn't keep. And God is weaving this story so that at just the right time when we finally became foster parents, that this child that he had created to place into our home would be placed into our home. And if our house had sold when we wanted it to, the, the kid that God had wanted to place in our home would not have had been able to get there. And so it becomes obvious to me on the back side, God, you're obviously working a plan that I didn't even know about. And I thank God for that. 
But here's the thing. That explains why he didn't sell the house the first time. It doesn't explain why he didn't sell it the second time. It doesn't explain why he didn't sell it the third time. It doesn't explain what's about to happen or is happening right now in the fourth time. I literally don't know. But I do know that I have persistently and powerfully prayed about this. I do know that God is in control. And I know that hindsight with God is always 2020. And I don't know when I'll have the final answer to what thing that God was trying to do. Maybe it was just simply the refining and the sermon illustrations. I don't know. But I know that He is building and deepening us as a family through the course of these seven years, those 11 years. And He wants to do the same thing in you. So I know we're, man, we all come here with different kinds of burdens. And I just encourage you during our response time. Man, um, I say this. There's people in our prayer team that would love to pray with you. You need to go pray with them. Sometimes we don't even know where to begin with powerful, persistent prayers. We don't know what to do. I don't know where to begin. I can't get the ball rolling. I'm telling you, if you've never had someone who just knows how to pray in a powerful way, if you've never had someone like that put their hand on your shoulder and pray for you, you are missing out on something huge. And so whatever burden you have brought with you today, please let our church and this awesome team, let them share that burden with you. And give your heart to the Lord back there at the prayer tent. There's prayer candles in the cross. There's people there that will absolutely pray with you. Let's give these things to God. Let's watch God heal us, draw us closer to Him, and answer us in ways that we could never expect, but in a way that show the faithfulness of